AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Radio! The markets are under pressure. We'll talk more about that later. Whatevs. We got a great show lined up today. Talking transport and freight and stuff. Then we've got an OG and a new voice on this morning's Farmer Panel. And like so many Pecan Sandies, this show is completely void of chips. Live, operating from a single-seater show via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we'll begin with a conversation with Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition. Then it's our Farmer Forum with panelist Ted the Hammer Hamer and new guy Scott Berger. Right after the news, Margie Eckelkamp from The Scoop. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson in for Chip Flory, who is on his way to a location near somebody. Maybe it's you. Anyway, thanks for uh, tuning in to AgriTalk this morning. So glad to have you along. I'm very excited to be behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk in Chip's stead. Chip will be back with a beefy show. Like, you know, you talk about a hot beef sandwich. I know they call it different things, different places. A piece of white bread, roast beef on top. You got taters right on there and then slather the whole thing with gravy. Imagine if that were a radio show and Chip's got two of them tomorrow for you. In the meantime, we're going to keep the conversation going here. Uh, Ted Hamer and Scott Berger. I got to know Scott a few years ago. Uh, dude really has his stuff together. Um, a young farmer out of uh, out of Iowa, central Iowa there. Kind of in Ted Hamer's neck of the woods. We do risk just a little bit of backyarditis, so we're going to try and keep the, the conversation as broad as we can. But still, you know, a, a check-in on the micro level. Never killed anybody. And... Uh, before that, we've got Mike Steenhook to kind of set us up a little bit. A lot of questions I have for Mike. I don't know if he has answers for all of them, but I'm going to ask him and and see what we come up with. And then, of course, in just a little bit, Margie Echocamp. Um, yeah, so let me get to the news, and then we'll, uh, we'll get right over to Margie. The Consumer Price Index rose 0.5% in January on a seasonally adjusted basis after increasing 0.1% in December. This according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Over the last 12 months, the All Items Index increased 6.4% before seasonal adjustment. The Food Index increased 0.5% in January, and the Food at Home Index rose 0.4% over the month so a half percent increase in the food index and food at home i'm groceries rose 0.4 percent over the month yes an increase but less than a half a percentage point maybe giving signs of leveling off here i found some eggs for um 3.59 a dozen now that's not the cheapest that i found but i it does seem like we're we're getting lower highs on uh, the huevo prices, at least in my local area here. I hope you are, too. You can't live without eggs. You can't live without eggs. U.S. retail sales unexpectedly jumped 3% month over month in January of 2023. That's the biggest increase since March of 2021. And well above market forecasts of a 1.9% rise, that follows a 1.1% drop 
in December. Total mortgage application volume fell 7.7% last week, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, as the popular 30-year fixed rate rose to 6.39% from 6.18%. Refinance applications fell 13% week over week, while applications to purchase a home were down 6%. When we talk about um, the the mortgage rates, the refinance applications, even the applications to purchase um, with those applications in decline, we also have to think about not only the implications for the housing market itself, but also there are a lot of people who, who work in that industry. And if refinance applications continue to tumble, we could probably see some, some uh, pretty serious job cuts on that front there, something to keep an eye on. Mexican officials issued a new decree this week calling for a ban on imports of biotech corn used for certain purposes Effective immediately, the decree also indicated the Mexican government would continue to allow imports of biotech corn used as animal feed while exploring substitutes. However, once substitutes are established to satisfy supply needs, all GM corn will be banned. The National Corn Growers Association expressed serious concern with the accelerated implementation timeline. Senator Chuck Grassley says it's time for Biden trade officials to trigger a USMCA dispute settlement case against Mexico for that planned GMO corn ban. After the 30 days, I think we need to reinstitute or we need to institute for the first time the the dispute resolution process at USMCA. Well, the International Energy Agency has raised its forecasts for oil demand this year to a record level as China's reopening fuels a surge in air travel across Asia, while also adding to its supply-side forecast as Russian production remains surprisingly resilient to Western sanctions. The Paris-based energy watchdog said in a monthly report it expects oil demand to grow to 101.9 million barrels per day this year, propelled almost entirely by rising demand in Asia. That figure is 200,000 barrels a day more than the International Energy Agency forecast last month. That figure last month was also a record amount. And finally, Western intelligence shows Russians amassing aircraft on the Ukrainian border. Meanwhile, NATO allies are working to prioritize rapid shipments of air defenses and ammunition as the conflict enters a new phase coming up on that one-year anniversary. Sounds like it could get a little Western over there in Ukraine. Let's bring in Margie Echelkamp from The Scoop. Good morning, Margie. Good morning, Davis. Margie, um, I've had something on my mind. Selective spraying. Can you help fill in the gaps for me? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's kind of on theme with this week being National Farm Machinery Show. And I had mm-hmm. the opportunity to talk to the first retailer I've been able to find who is bringing selective spraying to the field with commercial applications this summer. I think it's worth noting we have two available systems today. We have the John Deere Sea and Spray Ultimate, and then we also have the Green Eye technology. This specific retailer is a cooperative in Southern Minnesota, Northern Iowa. It's New Way K&H Cooperative. They're going to be outfitting one of their Hagee machines with the aftermarket Green Eye technology. Now, they are are eager to take this to the field. I've said it before and I will say it again. If this technology, when it's taken to the field, works 
and farmers are able to see the ROI and retailers in this example are able to provide that surface, I see this technology with rapid adoption. So I think in these early days with these handful of systems that we have is really critical. And the team at New Way KNH is doing the hard work at trying something new and trying something that could have been seen as perhaps a threat to traditional ag retail. Because with selective spraying, you have machine learning and artificial intelligence detecting weeds and only applying the herbicide where those weeds are. And that could be perceived as a threat because it would be lower volumes of crop protection products. But instead, as Jeff Christinger, the manager of agronomy for the cooperative says, they see it as an opportunity to be leading edge and bringing this to farmers as a solution. We need efficiency and application now more than ever. Margie, very encouraging. Thanks for your report. Margie Echelkamp from The Scoop. Hey, have a great day, Margie. Thanks, Davis. You too. All right. Well, we've got Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition coming up next, followed by our Farmer Forum. I'm very excited today to be in behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. Thanks for tuning in. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. So glad to have you along for the conversation this morning. Your pal Davis Michelson in for Chip. Chip will be back tomorrow. Uh, right now, I've got Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, we sure appreciate you swinging by for an update, buddy. How you doing? I am doing fine, Davis. It's good to be with you as always. Awesome, awesome. Um, can we just let's let's start wide? This is kind of the way I like to do it, and then narrow in and see where the conversation goes. I was reading, I believe it was last week, about the northern areas that that tend to replenish the Missouri River. Sounds like it's a little bit dry up north in some areas. How do you like the uh, the chances for the Missouri River? this coming summer spring time yeah the the word is that from the, the corps of engineers is that we probably should expect a more abbreviated navigation season uh, which it goes from essentially you know march through uh late november early december um 
you know, the fact is, you know, we have gotten some good snowfall uh, in places like Montana and the Dakotas. Um, but the, the the real lesson is, is that we're we were operating already at a pretty significant deficit. So it's going to require a considerable amount of precipitation uh, sustained to be able to catch us up. So we've been pleased with the the snowfall and the precipitation that has occurred, but we have a lot to, to go. And, but, you know, one of the silver linings is, or one of the areas of encouragement is in, you know, even last year in the midst of a really abbreviated, restricted navigation season for the Missouri River, there still was barge movements that were occurring. Um, you know, and I was recently visiting with a facility uh, out of Blencoe, Iowa, which is the northernmost barge loading and unloading facility on the Missouri River. And, and they, do, they still use the, the, the facility. They still had barge transit in, inbound and outbound. So, yeah. yeah, that's really encouraging. But, yes, we still have a lot, a lot of precipitation that will be needed this year. You know, I, I can't help but remember those images of the giant chunks of ice winding up in farmers' barnyards. Geez, just a few years ago coming off the Missouri River there. Um, we wouldn't hope for anything like that, certainly. But uh, it sounds like... <laughs> that, that won't be as much of a concern this year. The concern will be just kind of getting to normal, perhaps. Would that be fair? Yeah, that that's really the the key. Um, and so, it, you know, it's it's a uh, one thing about the Missouri is that it's not as predictable as some of the other rivers. They don't have the infrastructure that a lot of the other rivers have. And um, you know, one of the things that happened in 2019 with a lot of flooding is that. Yeah, you had a cold winter, so the, the the ground was pretty much frozen, and then you had a lot of precipitation, rainfall that occurred, and so the ground acted more like a less like a sponge and more like a tabletop, and it put a lot of that water into the river, caused a lot of flooding. So, yeah, it it really can kind of depend. So there is a lot of unpredictability when it comes to it, but yes, the the real goal is to try to get back to some degree of normalcy on the Missouri. Well, take us a little bit to the east. I haven't heard much about the Big Muddy. How's the Mississippi shaping up? Yeah, you know, fortunately, we've had a lot of progress since uh, late fall of last year. Um, you know, rightfully so. There was a lot of attention on the low water conditions on the Mississippi River and what the impact was on barge transportation. It really restricted how much you could load uh per barge with with the volume of soybeans or grain or other commodities you couldn't put as many barges together due to that low those low water conditions subsequent to that we have had some meaningful precipitation occur so you know where we currently stand is you know the, and this is all done by these arbitrary river gauges so at Memphis Tennessee we're at about a, a 10.3 foot river gauge that compares with in late October, we were almost at a negative 11. So we've seen about a 20-foot swing since then. So that's really meaningful. We're not as high on the, at Memphis as we were at this time last year, but it has allowed some degree of normalcy on barge transportation to occur. St. Louis, we're actually a little bit higher than we were at this time last year. Um, so the moral of the story is we've made a lot of progress. A degree of normalcy has returned to the inland waterway system but given the fact that we are still on multiple years of low water conditions, low precipitation, it wouldn't take a lot of prolonged low lack of precipitation to all of a sudden put us back into maybe mm -hmm. navigation restrictions for barge transportation. So that's kind of the moral of the story. But overall, we're in a much better position now than we were in October. Yeah, well, that's good to hear.
Um, I don't, I don't know. If, I'm just going to lob a rando question out here to you. Are you watching this thing with the train derailment in Ohio? I'm very concerned about the water table there and where some of the chemicals that have seeped into the ground uh, and even in to a nearby creek, as I understand, might get into the water system out there. Are you are you watching that situation at all? I am, and it, and it is a concern, and and it, it's just kind of another example of how sometimes the national attention is on less consequential things and things that should be on our on our on the front page really are on page twelve, and this is really an example of that. And you know, this whole issue of you know, we, we transport some of these very hazardous chemicals, and some of them are, are for agriculture. But, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that we've got a, a safe system. And the, and the railroads overall do a very commendable job. You know, every sure. day they're transporting these commodities. So they do a really good job of that. And there has been a lot of safety enhancements made over the years, particularly with tank cars that, that transport these liquid commodities. But, yeah, it's something that... Um, we're definitely watching and you know how how we responded to it whether it was appropriate or not what the long-term consequences of it could be what the short-term consequences so there's a lot of of attention that needs to be devoted to this it's a very important story well and the you know it's super easy for me from my palatial broadcast laboratory to be critical so i want to be careful here i'm not i'm not there but the idea to set the chemicals on fire in an effort to keep them from doing more damage, um, man, I don't know. That that was a, certainly a tough call to make. Um, what what do you think? Was that the right way to go? I mean, what else would, would they have done? Yeah, you know, I that that's something that's kind of above my my pay grade, but I yeah. but I but I do think um, there there needs to be a really robust postmortem on on this and you know what my worry is and this happens in this country all too frequently is you got some kind of seismic event that really caused maybe a disruption of some sort and then all of a sudden it kind of subs subsides and then what's the next shiny object that we all collectively can look at without right. really looking backward and really making sure was this done appropriately? So I, I don't know. It may have they may have done an exceptional job, and these might be you know heroes that really helped you know mitigate yeah. a, a problem that could have been much worse. But it is something that definitely we need to really make sure we do an effective postmortem on. Well, and thanks to uh, our national short attention span theater, um, we we may never know if they were heroes or not, dude. Um, that's well well spoken. Um, I'm looking at a story that says India is looking to capitalize on crop struggles in Argentina by increasing soy meal output. Is this is this a long-term market mover? You know, if, if Argentina is going to lose demand to India, we always talk about demand is really hard to get back. Is is this on your radar at all? Well, I mean, I think just you know more broadly, just this whole you know notion of of increased soybean processing in this country and what the opportunities are for finding destinations for the resulting soybean meal, whether that's domestic markets or international markets. This is something that is very dynamic right now. Um, what the infrastructure requirements will be to accommodate this increased uh, soybean meal uh, export program. That this clearly is something. Uh, it's not as specific as Argentina vis-a-vis India, 
But this is clearly an issue that is very much on the on the mind of the soybean industry and really making sure that we've got our mind wrapped around it and we're making strategic decisions accordingly. Um, we're, we're running out of time quickly here. Retailers looking to cash in on lower freight rates. Um, do, do commodities benefit from uh, lower freight rates coming up here anytime soon? Oh, we certainly, we certainly will. And, and, you know, you know, for, for barge transportation, you know, just to give you an example right now, if you load a ton of, of, of freight, like soybeans out of St. Louis, about $18 per ton, um, in October this past year, it was 105. Uh, then obviously that was during the, the, the most acute period of low water. So yeah, you know, seeing those kind any kind of relief will be very meaningful for us. Yeah. We're obviously still concerned about high, you know, fuel costs and worker shortages and those kind of things. But, you know, definitely any kind of relaxation of some of these high freight rates would be very yeah. beneficial to us. Outstanding. Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition. Dude, I appreciate your candor this morning. It's been very informative. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Once again, Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition. Davis Michelson here. I've got you for AgriTalk this morning. Coming up, we've got Ted the Hammer Hamer. And Mr. Scott Berger, a new voice here on AgriTalk for our Farmer Forum. We'll touch on some of these concepts that Mike and I talked about and much, much more AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, across the corn, soybean and wheat, even into the cotton, we've got lower prices today. But, man, the bottom fell out underneath soybean meal. What's going on? Yeah, really broad-based uh, sell-off here, Davis. Uh, you mentioned all those markets, uh, and yet you can go even broader. Um, you know, stock markets under fairly heavy pressure here. Commodities as a whole uh, taking a bath today, and and uh, um, you know, the U.S. dollar sharply higher. Um, crude oil futures trading more than a buck fifty lower, and and so really, it is just broad-based risk-off today, a, a sell-off there, and and definitely uh, the grain and soy markets are caught up in that wash. Is, is there a chance that this uh, is just sort of normal? We're washing out a little bit of, of length here in these markets, and now we're going to see a chance for some buying action to come in after this gets all wiped away? Well, I think it'll be critical today into the close to see if the funds do step up uh, and, and buy on the break or if they uh, decide to liquidate more long positions. 
Uh, so that'll be critical. And, and if we do finish uh, low range today and under heavy pressure, uh, then the tomorrow's session becomes critical. So I, I think the end of today and, and tomorrow will be uh, really telling in terms of near-term price action in here. Quickly, is 6 bucks too much for DS 23 corn? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's too much, Davis, but uh, uh, I guess the market will determine that one. But uh, for the moment, uh, it looks like uh, just a little bit pricey for them. But uh, once again, they're just caught up in the wash of, of a broad sell-off. Fat cattle and lean hogs under pressure. Feeder cattle do seem to be responding higher, probably on these lower corn prices. Thanks, Brian, for your time. That's Brian Grady on Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We don't make the news, we render it. AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Your pal Davis Michelson here in for Chip. He'll be back tomorrow. I keep saying that. Do I need to keep saying that? I don't know. He'll be back tomorrow. It's Davis Michelson, your pal. AgriTalk. Uh, we've got the Farmer Forum lined up here. Great conversation with Mike Steenhook. There are some things that are going the right direction as far as our rivers go and getting those refilled so that we can easily transit our goods up and down those waterways. But there are still some challenges ahead, some questions. Sounds like a dry summer could uh, put us right back where we started. Um, let's get into our farmer form right now. I want to bring in a brand new voice. Uh, this morning, we've got uh, Mr. Scott Berger joining us from uh, from Iowa. Scott, welcome to AgriTalk. How are you this morning? Well, Davis, thank you so much. Uh, I'm doing good today. Well, now you're brand new here, and we always give time for the uh, the elevator speech. Uh, so tell us about yourself. Tell us about your operation, where you at, what do you do, what's your deal? Yeah, so like you mentioned earlier, uh, I am in East Central Iowa, and I am close to Ted, but... Uh, far enough away that it's nice to chat with him once in a while. Uh, my operation is primary uh, row crops. Uh, I do some dabbling into waxy corn for Cargill and dabbled in some uh, plenish soybeans this year as well. Uh, other than that, I farm with my dad and we're just your typical row crop farmers in Iowa. How many acres are you running over there? Uh, we're right around 1,300. Okay. Ah, wow. Fairly sizable, then. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's enough to keep us busy. That's correct. I imagine. I imagine. Um, and it does sound like, and I kind of want to come back to this waxy corn concept, just the idea that you may be willing to try things um, and and maybe grow something that's outside of the, what would you call it, main line, you know, just a little left of center, maybe crops to sort of fill a few niche markets. Can I ask about your... Uh, rotational plans your crop mix for the upcoming season have i'm assuming you've got it worked out or where are you at on that would you call it normal are you leaning one way or the other so we have not been normal uh when it comes to a 50 50 rotation for the last five or six years now um we were we're always heavy corn um and this year, with the way that uh, the market is um, not providing a well return on soybeans, we are even heavier on corn this year. Wow! Even uh, even despite uh, those uh, oof, 
those high input costs, I guess they've come back down a little bit, but uh, I would imagine a guy like you probably markets appropriately to figure in for those uh, high input costs and protect profit. Yes, absolutely. When I was buying inputs, I was selling corn on the board at the same time. Boom. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Ted Hamer. Ted, it's great to talk to you again. Um, Scott Berger says he's just far enough away from you that he enjoys talking to you once in a while. We're sure glad to have you here. One of the uh, AgriTalk Market Rally OGs. How's it going, Mr. Hamer? Well, it's going good, but Scott, you know, we share a fence line together and, and uh, <laughs> occasionally he, he he doesn't get his GPS set as well as I do, but uh, we won't talk about that, right, Scott? Oh, I'm sorry. Was that on the air? <laughs> well, they, they say uh, good fences make good neighbors. Apparently, we've got proof right here. Right here. <laughs> yep, you know, do. I'd love to rebuttal that. There is no fence. There's one single post. <laughs> That's true. One post, yes. <laughs> well, uh, Ted, talk to us about your operation. You're just a, a little bit north of Scott's operation there. Um, where are you sitting? What are you thinking crop rotation-wise? What's what's on your mind uh, as a farmer, farmer at the moment? At the moment. You know, basically, we're, we're, we're sitting in and have a um, – the joy of being able to participate in seed corn. So we pretty much keep our rotation the same from one year to the next. So we don't wreck our um, isolation for ourselves. So we'll be, we'll be pretty standard quo against again this year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So you're selling seed corn that probably puts you in a little bit different position marketing wise. Uh, Yeah. Growing seed corn. Yeah, it does. I mean, there's a benefit of being able to sell percentages of that crop instead of actually having to sell bushels. So that takes quite a bit of the risk off from, you know, not trying to be oversold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, so what are your concerns right now, Ted? Do you have a care in the world? You, you know, it, no, you know, not really. I mean, the, the thing wow. is, is that just yeah. looking, if you look at, so we're coming in, never have had a higher uh, de corn uh, than January 1 of this year. I think soybeans were the third highest ever coming into January 1. The big concern is protecting that, protecting that so that doesn't slip away. Um, just heard to this morning, in fact, um, of a fairly substantial drop in anhydrous ammonia. And that, as they say, can be good and bad from the standpoint of um, it, it's almost, it, it just seems like corn prices want to follow that. So I'm concerned that we might want to start looking at, uh, the market trying to drag this corn lower and lo and behold, we're four and three quarters lo- lower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Scott, I've, I've been over to, uh, Burger Central and the thing that really stuck out to me was the whiteboard that you had in your office and, and you track these markets very, very carefully, or at least you were at that time. Um, I'm assuming you're doing the same now. Um, how are you liking our setup presently in the markets? So it's good. Um, I have I've actually grown the whiteboard since then, and you know, tying 
tying our crop insurance to marketing has been uh, a topic that I've been searching and teaching myself on for uh, quite a few years now. And I'll, I'll tell you, I bought margin protection. And with margin protection this year, I'm able to lock in a profit on corn. So that makes marketing a lot easier from my standpoint. You know, and, and that's why I told you earlier, I'm having more corn planted this year than I am, I am uh, soybeans. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you still can't look past some of the agronics when it comes to rotation. And honestly, as I'm talking to a neighbor, it's always nice to be friendly to your neighbors. And if they're on a rotation and you can make a rotation work, it makes mm -hmm. spring a heck of a lot easier for both of you as well. Absolutely. Well said. Boy, I, if I'm not mistaken here, I think I'm talking to two farmers who sleep well at night. Is that the case? I have oh, no I, problem I, I falling have asleep no problem. at night, sir. <laughs> Davis, I'm 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 too old to get that good night's sleep. You know that. <laughs> you gotta, you know, you gotta turn over and you gotta yeah. you gotta get all of a sudden you gotta cramp and you gotta get up. Come on, I'm I'm way past that sleeping well. I do sleep well, but I don't sleep long. Well, and I'm I'm at the point now where I like to have a little late afternoon nap. Just about every day, I get a little sleepy toward the end of the day. You know, maybe you, you just make it up in uh, in volume throughout the day. Is that a thing? Well, that's what farmers do. We make it up in volume. <laughs> Ted, a uh, lot of talk about the farm bill. Scott mentioned crop insurance. Crop insurance is a big topic in at least what farmers hope will wind up in the farm bill. Any, any thoughts on any of that? No, they're just going to continue to peck away and you know i i don't know it's i'm always so con conflicted on that because i don't think there should be subsidies of any kind i think the free market ought to work and the free market ought to be what it is but on the other hand if my competition like scott Berger, is gonna take advantage of the of the subsidies that come along i'm gonna have to do it too to compete against him so <laughs> It's always a confliction in my mind uh, as a true conservative that we even have that to begin with. That said, um, it's going to be there to some degree, but what that level is and what it'll continue to be is always up for debate. Well, sure. And it's it really is, you know, it's it's walking that fine line between the free market, which offers certain opportunities, but then also the support of a food system that requires us to continue feeding it. Scott, I, I think Ted Hamer might have just fired a shot over the bow. He might have just called you a liberal, bro. <laughs> well, you know, quite often on this show, people will say we tote the line of being um, on the government's, um, in other words, we're, we're sucking on their tit because we're getting, we're getting money from them. Yep. And it, it's very hard because, you know, back when, um, oh, any alphabet soup, uh, letters that, uh, president Trump was giving us money for the debate was, well, do I really want to take it? Well, I don't want to, because I have more pride than that, but if I don't, my neighbor's going to take it and I'm going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Ted, that goes right along with what you were saying. If if 
if you're not going to take it, your neighbor certainly is going to take it, and then he's got the advantage. Well, exactly. And I just had a meeting this morning looking at health insurance. And and since COVID hit, you know, the, the government has really kicked up the side on, on where you're eligible to get into that, um, get into the the subsidy side of healthcare. And again, those numbers are such that you can't afford not to look at them. I don't want to, and we may not take it, but we've definitely got to look. Definitely got to look is, is right. Boy, that's a, that's a sticky one, isn't it? Fine lines. We're drawing some fine lines this morning with Scott Berger and Ted Hamer, a great farmer forum. We've kicked off here. We're, we're going to keep it going and put a bow on this morning's show in the next segment. Stick around, won't you please, for more AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone. Scott Berger and Ted Hamer, my guests on this morning's Farmer Forum. Ted Hamer, let me, uh, let me begin with you in this segment and just pose a question. This doesn't have to be either or, but I'm going to pose it as either or. What's more scary to you, aliens or the Chinese military? Um, A lot of talk uh, about balloons and things being shot down out of the sky. Initially, it was, well, it's a Chinese balloon of some sort for some purpose. And now it seems like they're all just sort of these weird unidentified floating objects that are being shot down almost feels like uh, they're just afraid to tell us it's the Chinese. They re- would rather tell us it's aliens. So which is more scary to you? I think so. And I kind of hope they're aliens because you'll probably be <laughs> able to deal with them. They probably will, you know, have a rational, they might even tell us the truth. Um, you know, they might actually say they're here to, uh, be taken to our leaders. I don't know where I would go take them then after they uh-huh. said that, but I mean, at least they would maybe tell the truth. Well, you wouldn't want to take him to to uh, Governor Reynolds' office. She, no, you, maybe uh, I don't know. Just take him straight to Washington. I think maybe. Boy, that's a tough one, Scott. If aliens landed, would you take him to your state government or to the federal government? Oh, it's a tough question, you know, right? <laughs> it, it is. I 
I love uh, I love what Iowa has going in the government. So you know what? I think if they're going to talk, let's let's go to Des Moines. Okay. Okay. Very good. Um, one wonders. You know, there are some pretty serious news stories out there. Um, and Ted, I'll, I'll kick it back over to you. But Mike kind of got me thinking. Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition about, hey man, here's these shiny things. Let's look at these shiny flash in the pan sort of things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Stories we won't care about. And meanwhile, there's an undercurrent of some pretty serious stuff going on. When when you look at the news, when you thirst after the news, what is it that you really want to know about? I want to know why five tra- trains have derailed in the last six days. I mean, mm-hmm. that, what, uh, and balloons? Um, I, I do. I mean, I you know, I'm not going to say I have a tinfoil hat, but I always think there's a distraction. And I mm-hmm. don't know what we're being distracted from. But it, uh, I mean, six, five trains? Come on. Yeah. It seems happen. like a lot. When I when I heard about the Ohio one, I thought, oh, well, you know, some sometimes trains derail. It, it does happen. You know, everything doesn't always go right. But but you're exactly right. That does seem like an awful lot. Scott, I guess let me let me just pose the question straight up to you. Um, do do you trust the mainstream news that that you get? Uh, no, I do not spend any time watching mainstream media. And I I'm a I'm an old school farmer. I watch the weather at noon and mm-hmm. then I walk away. Um, so. Okay. You know, to, to comment on the, the, the tinfoil hat thing, I've yeah. got a um I've got a very educated landlord that always questions me on agricultural things. And mm-hmm. we saw the same thing a couple of years ago when there were uh fires at packing plants and mm-hmm. birds being called because of diseases and you know, that creates a fear of food shortage and you know, there's there's a lot of things that guys could look at and and start to question. So, I, I guess we're in a culture now where we have to question everything. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know from a from a critical thinker's standpoint, um, I would I would tend to agree. You know, there's there's no there's nothing wrong with asking the simple question why. Um, Ted talking about those the mysterious rash of food plant fires and crop fires and and the like, if, I'm using air quotes now, they wanted to create a food shortage. I mean, isn't that the worst thing that a government can do? Isn't a food shortage like an immediate recipe to escalation of angst amongst the people? You would, yeah, you know, keep them keep them full, keep their yeah, stomachs yeah. full, and, they, and nobody complains. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I don't know, but is... <laughs> Who says it's our government doing it? Who says they're mm-hmm. behind it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, the, there again, if you're going to critically think, think beyond who might be doing it. And maybe the government really doesn't want this. Maybe they know who is behind it. And that's why we've got balloons and we've got, you know, and, and I don't know, that Mexican one came up the other day. I was kind of hoping Teddy Roosevelt was around and he could hit that pinata and we could see what <laughs> fell out of it. But, um, you know, it, yeah, it, 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 I don't watch any mainstream media anymore. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. same with Scott. It, yeah. it's not worth my time. All right. Um, 
Well, let's move on. Let's let's keep it practical then. Um, Scott, you've talked about making some inputs purchases. Have you had any availability issues uh, coming up for spring? No, I see no availability issues coming up. Um, unfortunately, I was a little bit of a unfortunately I was a little bit of a hoarder this last year and and held over some uh, over purchased products. Uh, I, I think we might have all fallen into that camp, but looking forward, I don't see uh, see any issues with uh, having inputs on yeah. farm. Now, Ted, you're you're pretty close to the same area, so I can I'm assuming your answer would be the same to that availability. Not really a problem in in your area. Say that too. I, I'm not hearing of anything. Um, don't yeah, it has not been an issue. I think I we'd be in the same camp with Scott. It was a case of. You know, if you were along a little bit of chemicals and things like that, you didn't send it back last year. You kept it because you didn't want the same thing to happen again. So, I, yeah, I think farmers have become their own worst enemy in some cases. I know that even some parts from the implement dealerships, uh, yep. when we overordered, um, we didn't send it back. They're right. sitting on our shelf just because right. we didn't know what the availability might be in the future. Well, fellas, I sure appreciate your time this morning. Scott Berger, thank you so much. Great first uh, first run here on AgriTalk. We appreciate you, buddy. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. You too. And Ted Hamer, always good to catch up with you, Ted. We should talk more often. Thanks, buddy. All right. We'll talk later. This afternoon, Brian Hoops, Jeff Cooper, and tomorrow morning, Chip live on location from where he is. AgriTalk. AgriTalk. <laughs>